Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces Know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than any of all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come in to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, 
Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for all three, for three days, night and day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Forward, if you'd like to come come up for the children's time, the railing is closed, so you're going to have to come all the way around this side and come up the side. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Hi, guys. You want to come on over here? Good to see you. In the Bible story that Miss Anita just read, it was talking about Queen Esther. And Queen Esther's cousin asked her to be brave and do something really, really hard. And you know what? She didn't want to do it. It was too scary. She said no. But then she remembered that she had a whole community of people who were supporting her, who loved her, and who were praying for her. And that helped her to have the courage to do the really hard thing. And you know what? Because she was willing to do that hard thing, she saved her people. Sometimes we have to do hard things, don't we? Sometimes we have to be brave, and sometimes we have the opportunity to help other people. And sometimes I think it's helpful to remember that God is always with us, and we have a whole community of people. Do you see all these people out here? Look at all those people. And all those people up there, all those people, all of those people have promised that they are going to love you and support you and pray for you. And so I think when we have to do brave and hard things, it's helpful to remember that we have people who are praying for us. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are with us when we have to do hard things and when we need to help others. Thank you for the community that's praying for us and loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are three, four, or five, you can go to Children's Church with Pastor Maggie. Otherwise, you can go back to your seats. Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words that I speak and the thoughts that we think be acceptable to you, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Esther was an unlikely queen and an even more unlikely leader. If you're not familiar with her story or if you haven't read it in a while, Esther was a Jewish orphan living in the Persian capital of Susa. 
In the words of scholar Amy Oden, Esther was a resident alien, a foreigner, and a member of this peculiar tribe, the Jews, that the Persians tolerated unevenly. As an orphan and as a female, Odin says, Esther was a nobody among nobodies in this minority community. She was taken in and raised by her cousin Mordecai, who was a servant of the king. One day, Queen Vashti, the queen of Persia, dared to disobey her husband when he called for her to come to a banquet. He cast her out, and then he began a search for a new queen. During the search, Esther earned the favor of the eunuch who was in charge of the women. He offered her advice about what to bring with her when she was sent to the king, and she only took what he advised. The king fell in love with Esther and made her queen. But Mordecai told Esther not to tell the king about her Jewish heritage. The text says that she obeyed in the same way that she had obeyed him as he was raising her. You see, in this early part of Esther's story, we get the sense that her personality was a direct contrast to that of Vashti. She was submissive and obedient. She wasn't going to rock the boat, but she would simply do what she was told. After a while, the king promoted a man named Haman and commanded that all of his servants bow down to Haman. But Mordecai refused, and he quickly found himself the target of Haman's wrath. But instead of just killing Mordecai, Haman plotted to have all of the Jews killed, men, women, and children. He convinced the king that the Jews were not following the king's law, and as we discovered with Vashti's story, the king didn't tolerate disobedience. So along with an offer of money from Haman, the king agreed to issue a decree that all the Jews in the kingdom should be killed. And this is where we pick up the story this morning in the text that Anita read. Mordecai is in distress. He's wailing and crying. He's wearing sackcloth and ashes. He is grieving for himself and for his people. When Esther hears about it, she tries to send him clothes so that he can take off the sackcloth. But Mordecai refuses, and he sends back word about what Haman has plotted. He tells Esther that she must beg mercy from the king on behalf of her people. One scholar points out that Mordecai assumes that Esther will do as she is told here. After all, until now, she's always done what those around her have asked her to do. She is the obedient and submissive queen. But instead, Esther responds that she hasn't been invited to the king's inner court for 30 days. In other words, her influence with the king seems to be waning, and it's against the law to go to the king without being summoned. In fact, it is a death sentence, unless the king holds out his golden scepter. In effect, Esther tells Mordecai, no, it is too dangerous. What he's asking is too much. But then Mordecai reminds Esther that she too is a Jew that she is no more safe from this threat than any of the other Jewish people. 
If you keep silent at this time, he says, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come into royal dignity for just such a time as this. This call from Mordecai reminds Esther that she's part of a community, that her well-being is bound up with the well-being of her people, that they are responsible for one another because they belong to one another. And so Esther, this obedient and submissive queen, answers the call and steps into leadership for the sake of her people. A week or so ago, I was cleaning out my files, and after 15 years of ministry, I have a lot of files. But I came across an article that I'd saved. It was entitled, Leadership for the Timid. The author, David Barnhart, is a United Methodist pastor, and he talks about how he's never really resonated with business books on leadership. He says that leadership culture reminds him of a particular gym coach he used to have who would yell like a drill sergeant, are you going to be a leader or a follower? Barnhart says, when he talked about leadership, I did not feel inspired. I felt inadequate. This should have been a clue, he says. Good leadership doesn't make 10-year-olds feel inadequate. Barnhart says that he often still feels like he's the kid who's picked last for kickball and who's anxious about sitting alone at the lunch time at the lunch table at lunchtime. But he has learned that the world isn't neatly divided into leaders and followers. There's more than one way to be a leader. He's learned that what he calls his geeky attributes are actually some of his best leadership qualities. He says, I lead primarily by learning and teaching, but I also lead with empathy and relational skills. I have a tendency to, to seek out the other kids sitting alone at lunchtime. My strength, he says, is in building communities in which I would feel welcome. And Esther's strength, as it turns out, is in summoning the support of her own community so that she can do the brave and hard thing on behalf of others. She steps into leadership by sending word to Mordecai to gather all of the Jews in Susa and to hold a fast on her behalf. And she and her maids will also hold a fast. After three days, she will approach the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, she says, I perish. Then, in a role reversal, Mordecai goes and does everything Esther has ordered him to do. And in the end, Haman is defeated. Esther saves her people, not only because of her personal courage, but also because she's able to recognize the importance and strength of her community. In her sermon last week, Carol talked about some of the current needs in Nashville, from homelessness to children's reading scores. 
She reminded us that those unhoused people are our neighbors, that those children are our children. They are part of our community. She said that it's time to begin asking how God can use West End to do more, to build up this city. And I think she's right. A couple of months ago, we were gathered with a group of clergy to hear a State of Nashville report. This was a report that was compiled by Operation Andrew Group in partnership with the Barna and Karras Foundations. And it was based on surveys that they had conducted. They had asked questions of both churched and unchurched people in the greater Nashville area. One of the questions they asked survey respondents was what areas they would like to see churches make an impact in? What are the things that they think churches should be focused on? So here are some of the, some of the highest responses that they, people gave. Homelessness, poverty and hunger, mental illness, suicide, and domestic violence. 74% of people surveyed said they think the church should play an active role in racial reconciliation. And 96% said that educational equity is important. Those are big challenges, big problems to be solved for sure. You know, one of the most disheartening statistics to me in that whole state of Nashville report it was this one. Just 37% of practicing Christians in Nashville volunteer on a regular basis. Just 37%. It's even less for the general population. And we live in the volunteer state. Now, I would like to think that United Methodists would represent a higher percentage among Christians. But I think it's a good reminder to us that sometimes, like Esther, our first response to the needs of others is no. We don't think we can make a difference, or the obstacles seem insurmountable, or perhaps sometimes we just feel like we have too much to lose and not enough to gain, and it's not worth the risk. Sometimes, like Esther, we need to be reminded that we belong to a community, that our well-being is bound up with the well-being of our neighbors, that we are responsible for one another because we belong to one another. Sometimes, we need to be reminded that we are the body of Christ, that in the words of Teresa of Avila, Christ has no body but ours, no hands, no feet on earth, but ours. We are the body of Christ. You know, for the past eight years, I have seen you, 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 the body of Christ at West End. I have seen you respond to God's call to leadership to do brave and hard things on behalf of others. I've seen you declare unreservedly that God loves everyone unconditionally. And I've seen you live that out in your hospitality, 
in your ministries with children and youth and young adults, at pride festivals and death penalty demonstrations and gun reform rallies. I've seen you cultivate beauty through music and art and theater productions, even through the handicrafts of knitting and crocheting, and you have shared all of that beauty with our neighbors. I've seen you care for the most vulnerable among us through the Sunny Day Club and creation care and project transformation, through Christmas gifts for foster children and through the quiet place, and those are just some of the highlights. You know, in a season when so many churches are hanging on for dear life, you, the body of Christ at West End, you are sitting in a place of privilege. You are in possession of an incredible number of resources. And I'm not just talking about financial assets, although you're doing really well in that department too. But you also have a deep, deep well of wisdom and knowledge of talent and skill and creativity, of compassion and unconditional love. And these are all resources that our city desperately needs. Perhaps, like Esther, you, the body of Christ at West End, Perhaps you are being called to continue to step up into leadership in this city, to move the needle on homelessness and poverty, on mental health and suicide and domestic violence, to do the hard, hard work of racial reconciliation, to make sure that all children have access to equitable education. Perhaps, like Esther, you'll be able to garner the strength and support of this community and do brave and hard things on behalf of others. Who knows? Perhaps you have come into your 150th year for just such a time as this. May it be so.